And once again, I'd like to welcome all of you and uh, hope that uh, you have had a good week and good to be back again uh, to worship God together. And uh, what about, uh, if you remember that we have been looking at the series on, on love, agape love. <coughs> what the Bible talks about agape love. And uh, in part 2i, I mean, I, I, I've broken down the characteristics of agape love into individual parts so that we, we can study them in detail and understand what this is about. So in part 2i of the series that you, you, you may remember, that uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5 that love is not provoked. So that was from last week's lesson. Basically what it means is basically that love has a very thick skin. That's, that's what it is. Uh, that uh, love can endure a lot of provocation without ever reacting in a sinful manner. And we know that the only reaction that agape love would react to provocation is to seek the highest good of the offender. You know, and never to his harm. So there's something that, uh, that we, we, need to, we need to learn because we know that people tend to react to provocation, isn't it? If somebody insults you, you know, that uh, we tend to react negatively. Uh, agape love teaches us that we should never react negatively and react to, uh, in, in a sinful manner, but rather to always turn around and seek the highest good of the person. So this morning, we're going to continue our study with Paul's advice on agape love again in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Once again, where Paul said that agape love thinks no evil. So, but before we analyze this, uh, this verse, let us consider the three words there in this verse. Thinks no evil. What, what it means, yeah? So, uh, by, by way of introduction itself, the, the, the first word, thinks, is, is actually from the Greek word there, logizomai, uh, which basically comes from its root word, logos. The word literally means uh, to reason, to think about something deeply, and in a logical manner, okay? To think logically and deeply. So that's, that's what this word means. So Barnes the Commentator tells us that, it, the quotations in your notes there, where it says that the Greek word logistai is that which is commonly rendered impute and is corrended, correctly rendered here thinketh. That's from his notes on the Bible itself. So what this word means is uh, it implies a methodical, contemplated manner of thinking. You think Logically, so that that's what it means. You know, unlike somebody's response that in the spur of a moment, uh, when somebody provoked you, for example, in the, in the last characteristic, if somebody provoked you, sometimes we don't think logically, we react on the spur of the moment. So now Paul said contrast that with logical thinking. So that that's that's what he was talking about there. That uh, you know that uh, love thinks no evil, and it's not easily provoked. Somebody who is provoked will just blow up like a, like, like a bomb, isn't it? Uh, we are thinking. But un unlike that itself, that, uh, you know, that love thinks no evil. That love is not like that. Love contemplates. Think carefully before it acts. So that's the first word that by way of introduction itself. It's a methodical, contemplated manner of thinking. Then Paul said that the other word is love is not provoked. Uh, once again, that this is one of those negative words that uh, in the Greek has been used in the Greek text, which is translated as no or not. Again, it's a very, the strongest negative particle being used. So what it also means is that love is not and will never, ever think evil. Like it's the same thing as love is not provoked. Love is not and will never, ever be provoked. So that's what it means. So that's the word not. The word evil is interesting. Uh, the word evil in, this, in the passage itself comes from the Greek word kakos, 
Uh, kakos refers to something that is characteristically or morally wrong by its very nature. The nature itself is evil, destructive, and bad. Okay? Or it can be said as, uh, as unfair. As opposed to the influence or the effects. You can have something done where the result, the influence is bad. So that the, the Greek distinguish the nature and the effects of evil. So when you read the English word evil in the, in the Bible, you've got to ask yourself, was the Bible talking about the character or was it talking about the effects of it? So we need to bear this in mind. There, there is a difference. Okay? So when the Bible uses this word, it, especially when it refers to a person, kakos in the Greek, uh, paints the picture of someone who is morally and spiritually godless. That's what this word means. The person is godless. For example, that, uh, uh, an example of this word being used as well uh, in, in terms of the principle itself is found in Romans 13 verse 10, where Paul said that love does no harm. The word harm is from that particular Greek word, kakos. No harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So Paul basically said that love does, not, does nothing to, or anything that is characteristically or morally evil or bad to harm the neighbor. So the act, the, the, the very nature itself uh, is, is, not, is not harmful. So that's, what, that's, that's what, what this word means. So if you remember I mentioned before, something that is morally evil by its very nature and character, and something that is evil by, from the effects or, or, or the influence itself. So the effects and influence comes from the Greek word poneros. Poneros refers to that effects and, and influence. You see, sometimes you see the word uh, evil in, in, in the Bible, that's what it is. Vine, the, 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 Greek, the Greek scholar, tells us, he said that kakos stands for whatever is evil in character, based in distinction, or wherever the distinction is observable, from poneros. Poneros is the other word, isn't it? Which indicates what is evil in influence and effects, malignant. So kakos is the wider term and often covers the meaning of poneros. So when the Bible uses kakos, as in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it is a very broad term that includes not only the character and also the, it covers the nature, I mean the nature and the effects as well. Whilst poneros only talks about the effects, not the nature. So you need to always ask yourself, when the Bible says that which is evil, evil in what sense? What is the evil that he's talking about there? So let's bear that in mind. So a good contrast between the use of these two words can be seen in Mark 7, verses 21 to 23 where Jesus says this. He says that from within the heart, from within, out of the heart of man, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile man. So you see the word evil being used three times here. So our Lord's assessment of the contents of the heart of an evil man consisted of there are other things, and these are the things that I want us to focus on. Firstly, Paul said, uh, Jesus said that evil thoughts. The word evil here is translated as kakos, from the word kakos, which means evil in its character. And then you have the evil eye. Here you have the poneros, which is the influence and the, and, and the results of it. And then the, Jesus concluded, he says, that all the evil things, again, the word evil here is the poneros, the results and the effects of it. That, which, which means that Jesus is talking about the fruit, the fruits of the evil character, the, the fruits of the evil thoughts that produce the evil results. 
So this is the distinction uh, where Jesus said this, would, this, this defiles the man. So it all started from the character and then the results follow from there. So here we are, we have done uh, a brief introduction to these three words. Love, things, no, evil. So let's put these things, these, these words all together and see what this verse is trying to teach us here. Uh, Sellers speak, the writer, uh, in his book Agape in the New Testament, Volume 2, he tells us that the word things, the word translated as things in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, has different meanings for us. And that it, can be, it can be understood in several ways. That where, where, where Sellers speaks says this, I quote that from his book, he says that once more, it is hard to decide exactly what the verb things mean. Since uh, logizomai has many different senses. So there are different shades of meaning of this word things. So we have to, when Paul, Paul said that love thinks no evil, uh, things in what sense? Because there are different meanings to it. So it's, it's worth uh, looking at, at the different meanings. So one of the first meanings, I call it the bookkeeping meaning, uh, which I, I, I would label it as the grudge grave diggers. Uh, this has this, this meaning itself. This is the most common meaning that you'll find in the commentaries, commentators who write about this verse, where uh, the, 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 the meaning of this, the word things, which they, some commentators and writers suggested, that it, it paints the picture of someone who bears grudges against others to the point that he is very preoccupied in his mind to keep a record of all those which are characteristically wrong and evil. He has a, he has a list. You know like the Christmas song in it, uh, Santa Claus, he keeps a list who is naughty, who is nice. So that's the idea of a list, keeping a list, a, a list of things. He has this bookkeeper's ledger in a metaphorical sense, in the way he thinks uh, of those, uh, how bad that person is. You see, he keeps a list of all the things. Lansky, in his commentary, that Lansky says this. He says that, I quote, This pairs with the preceding characteristic. Uh, this also explains the verb. Love keeps no account book for the entry of wrongs on the debit side, which are eventually to be balanced on the credit side with payments received when satisfaction is obtained for these wrongs. Love forgets to charge any wrong done to itself. It is neither enraged at the moment, nor does it hold a grudge in vindictiveness afterwards. So then Lansky said that. Uh, Ray Pritchard, he writes that this is also a very interesting uh, acting to a story there that he said. Uh, Warren Wisby said that once he once knew a man who actually kept a written list of the rotten things people had done to him. He also said that the man was one of the most miserable people he had ever known. Many people keep mental lists of the slights they have suffered. They never get over what happened in the past. They dwell on it, they live in it, they ferment in it, and as a result, they let the past shape their present and their future. But true love has a bad memory of wrongs done to it. Love is quick to hit the delete key. Love is always ready to say, I'm putting that in the past and I'm not going to bring it up again. Unquote. I thought that, that, was a, that was a great, uh, interesting little story there. This is even funnier, I thought. Uh, Stephen Cole, uh, the denomination preacher there, he relates a story of a married man saying to his friend, he said this to his friend, he said that, you know, every time my wife and I get into a conflict, she gets historical. His friend said, historical? You mean hysterical? He said, no, I mean 
historical. She rehearses everything I've done wrong in the past, in the, in, in the whole history of our marriage. You know, the wife got historical. She remembers everything that was wrong. So this is the type of you know, uh, scorekeeping that Paul was probably referring to in terms of the first meaning, the bookkeeping's meaning itself. I think the coast story here is very, uh, uh, very common, especially amongst um, the married. You know, the past is always ducked up regularly. Uh, when, you know, when there's an argument, they will dig the past out to humiliate the other spouse. But, you know, this is not something that is new or ha- that only happens to non-Christians, even happens to Christian couples. Such should never be the case. For if a wrong, especially, or a sin has been repented of, uh, that should have never been dug up again, isn't it? The fact is that it has been repeatedly dug up over and over again in an argument shows a very, a very unforgiving and spiteful spirit. And this is evil and malicious. And the Bible condemns that. Our Lord in the model prayer, we've been doing the Bible studies on the model prayer, uh, you know that Jesus warns us in the fifth petition, which we are studying now, that Jesus said that God will not forgive our sins if we are unforgiving towards others, isn't it? So if we are unforgiving towards others and we keep digging the past out, this is what I mean by the grudge grave diggers. Those who specialize in digging up the past, you know, especially those which have been repented of, and forgiven and forgotten, they will dig up the past, the past corpses of sins. You know, they exhume it from the from the grave regularly and publicly flog it over and over again in arguments. So this this is something that uh, should not be happening, and it only happens to those people who keep a list and remember all the wrongs uh, of, of the past. So one point to note here is to show that when uh, Paul's use of the word kakos, evil in his character. Uh, implies that the, the man who has been keeping this list of a ledger of evils, he's just not remembering the, you know, what, the, what, he has been, what has been done to him, you know, but he, 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 he remembers, he, he will always remember how morally and characteristically wrong or evil that person is. He thinks badly of the person, and hence it caused him to have resentment, you know, and hatred and anger towards the person. And this is not how agape love works, isn't it? Agape love works differently. Robertson and Plummer, the Greek scholars, said this uh, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in their commentary, which is also in your notes. It says that when, when there is no question that it has received an injury, love doth not register the evil. It stores up no resentment and bear no malice. Love does not bear malice, does not store resentment. You see, it does not uh, keep a register of the evils. So that's, that's the first meaning, uh, you know, the bookkeeping or the grudge grave diggers uh, meaning of, the, of, this, uh, of this word think. The second meaning, which again that sellers speak, give us, uh, is what I call the suspicious mind's meaning. So Spick said this from his, from his book, I quote, he says that from its form and its uses in the Septuagint, it could be translated Charity thinks no evil, and mean either that charity does not suspect its neighbor of evil. This is the suspicion bit that it talks about. So the, the word could mean that basically that agape love does not suspect its neighbors of being an evil or bad person. That is that to say that love does not think badly or attribute the worst motives to others, whether the motives are real or imaginary. You see, this, this, this second meaning addresses the suspicion 
the suspicion of any possible moral evil or wrongs that somebody may or may not have is only a suspicion yeah it's not evidence-based so the bookkeeper's meaning in the first meaning deals with what a person believes about the person who is morally bad or evil the second meaning deals with his suspicion about the other person's motives that will cause him to think the worst of the other person again this suspicion is baseless it's not based on evidence and proof it's just what he thought you see uh, his, his imagination of things that cause him to be suspicious but agape love does not work like that for because we know that agape love was, will always think of the good in people and will always do its best to attribute the best motives for their actions instead of surmising evil in them all the time you know that people who are very suspicious all the time uh, you know they always see the person you know trust no one I don't trust him uh, even though you don't know him I don't trust him so that, that's, sort of, that's sort of mindset and that's not what agape is so Barnes the commentator says this it's in your notes again it says it means does not reckon charge or impute to a man any evil intention or design we desire to think well of the man whom we love nor will we think ill of his motives opinions or conduct until notice until we are compelled to do so by the most unbreakable evidence true religion therefore will prompt to charitable judging nor is there a more striking evidence of the destitution of true religion than a disposition to impute the worst motives and opinion to a man unquote so I think that uh, Barnes hit the nail on the head Benson in his commentary as well he said this he said that the loving man indeed cannot but see and hear evil things it's true we see evil and we hear of things evil all the time and Benson said he said and knows that they are so but he does not willingly think evil of any neither infer evil where none appears the love in his heart prevents his imagining that of which he has no proof and cast out all jealousies evil surmises readiness to believe evil and induces him to put on the kindest construction upon the actions of others and on the principles from whence they proceed which the nature of circumstances will by any means allow I think that uh, Barnes and Benson here they, they have they have their points about, about agape's love attitude isn't it towards others is that agape love will not suspect the worst of others until as Barnes said that we have we are compelled to do so by the most unbreakable evidence or in, in Benson's case he said that love in his heart prevents his imagining of that which he has no proof so in other words what what the Bible says in the, according to this second meaning itself is that uh, we must not think the worst of others until it is factual and the facts compel us to accept this as a reality not to think worse of others just because we imagine that the person to be like that agape love is never suspicious of others until there is concrete proof to show otherwise if you think about this yeah let's think about this thinking the best in people what benefits are there for us when we think the best of others number one i think that it, 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 it helps us to avoid the sin of evil surmising doesn't it it helps us avoid the sin of even surmising of people by being suspicious of their motives all the time and it could render us judges of evil thoughts that's what it is isn't it 
you know, it prevents that, that evil surmising, unless there's concrete proof of it. And number two, so that if, if we choose not to think the worst of others, but think the best in others, it brings about peace of mind for us. We let God determine and judge their motives. You see, the motives is between them and God. Because unless they tell us, if we don't know, leave it to, to God to judge them. Thirdly, it also helps us to go our way in peace and go to bed with peace of mind instead of spending all night, you know, thinking and thinking and thinking, spending our energies on, look, uh, you know, to look up for those ghosts that, that don't exist uh, in that person's motives. Ah, oh, he's so bad. Uh, what is he thinking about? You know, this that. You, you, know, you, you waste your energy in, in, in it. And finally, so it prevents any unfounded rumors and gossips about the person from us, especially. You know that we, we, you know, we, we tend to blab, isn't it? We plan to talk to people about things. So if you keep thinking about the worst of person, it's, it's only natural unless you talk to people about him. And when you talk to, to others about him, this might not be factual, but you, you, may, you, may, you may put it as if it's facts to the other person. You gossip about the person, and it's wrong. So I think these are some of the blessings and benefits we can gain by exercising agape love in thinking the best of the person instead of thinking the worst. You know, dispense the suspicions. That's the second meaning. The third meaning is the think and do no evil meaning. Uh, Silas Fix says this. He said that, uh, you know, the agape love, is, uh, he said that it is, that it does not think about committing anything evil itself. This is the third possible meaning. That means when Paul says agape love thinks no evil, that means that it's not thinking or doing evil. So that, that is one meaning itself. This is more of an inward looking uh, you know, meaning where we examine our own motives towards others. That is that the agape love does not think of doing something that is characteristically or morally bad against to, to others. Again, uh, this, this rendering, this third meaning uh, is very consistent with the, you know, the, the, the principle of agape love because agape love is that which seeks the highest good you know, no matter how the other person has treated us. You know, that we will never think of doing something that is characteristically wrong or evil to harm the other person. The eye for an eye, the tit for tat kind of uh, mentality is not characteristics of agape love. And God and Jesus himself, they, they, they have never been like that. God has never been like that. Neither should any Christian. Paul said in Romans 12 about agape love, he said this in Romans 12, 9, to 20, uh, and then 8, 17 to 21. Romans 12, 9 says this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. In verse 17 he said, Repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Note what Paul said in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What Paul is basically saying here is that agape does not have a double face. It's not two-faced. Agape does not act nice and good. You know, uh, it does not act nice and good. It is good. 
That's what it is. It is as you, you would see it. As Paul is saying, agape love is transparent in its motives. And the words that come from agape, they are always good. And that's how Christians should be. We should never be double-faced. You know, when we greet others with such great affection up front, and then, on then when, we, when we turn our backs, we have this feeling of disgust or abhorrence of the person. Agape is not like that. Agape is not a diplomat. You know, a diplomat, they say, as you know what a diplomat is, doesn't it? Uh, you know, he may not like you, but he will talk a lot of nice things about you. You know, but that, that's, that's double-faced. Agape is decisively clear and transparent in its attitude and its treatment of others. And Paul also said here that in Romans 12, he said that agape hates evil and loves that which is good. Agape is not spiteful, it is not vengeful. Agape will seek to be at peace with all. But that does not mean that agape will just overlook evil, you know, and bury it under the carpet. But simply that agape will refuse to hold a grudge, what it, that's what it means. It will not hold a grudge against its offenders. It will not think of an eye for an eye kind of attitude of doing harm to the other person. Instead, and regardless of the merits or demerits of the other person, agape will always seek their highest good and do good to the offenders. Agape will always rise above evil by doing good, overcome evil with good. So no ulterior motives are read, and there will never be any suspicious minds in agape, only doing good while leaving the final judgment of his offenders to the hands of the all-knowing God. That's what agape is. It will not seek to harm others. That's the third meaning. There's a final meaning, which is the forgetfulness meaning. Again, Speak tells us this. Speak in his book, he said, Charity pays no attention to evil done to it. Instead of nursing the memory of an injury and modifying its behavior towards the offender to the degree of his offense, charity refuses to, no take no to notice that anything has happened. It is more than the absence of rancor and more, than, more even than pardon. It is absolute forgetfulness, as, as if the marks of the stylus vanished from the wax tablet. When it deals with evil of any kind, injuries or other person's mistakes, charity has no memory. Its reasons are always fresh and inspired by a sincere and open benevolence which sees only the other person's good. It is always ready to return to the trusting, generous, and even intimate relationship with him. God behaves this way towards pardoned sinners." Unquote. So this final possible meaning focuses on how agape love will pay no attention to the wrongs and injuries done to it and feel begrudged. It, it doesn't feel a grudge. But instead, the agape will rise above the, any negative thoughts or ill will of feelings towards the offender. It rises above that. Agape will remove the wrong from its memory and acts afresh with a true and sincere heart in seeking the offender's highest good. The principle is always very consistent with agape love. So when speak, notice this, when speak says that uh, charity pays no attention to the evil done to it, what speak was not saying is that he did not mean that agape totally ignores or forgets or sweeps under the, the sin of the unrepentant sinner under the carpet. He's not talking about that. He's not saying that agape love doesn't ignore sin altogether and just not deal with it. No, he's not, he's not referring to that itself. He was basically, what he meant was basically that agape does not hold a grudge against the person. 
okay, by remembering the offence. And especially when it's time that when the offender needed help. If the person who has hurt you needed help, agape will put aside the wrong and render that help. So that is his forgetfulness itself. Not the, uh, just sweep it under the carpet, uh, just live for peace sake. No, he's, that's not what agape is. So agape love is not of that kind of mentality where it says, why should I help him after what he has done to me? That's not the agape mentality. But it chooses to forget the wrongs against it and not use the wrongs against it as the reason for not helping the other person. You see, that's what agape, that's what agape is not. Yeah, it will not do that. The offender's wrong is never in the equation, especially when the offender needs help. That's what speak meant by agape having an absolute forgetfulness. Agape will put aside the wrongs, help the offender first. And that's what it is. Agape also does not act on the basis of what kind of person the offender is. He, but he will always seek the offender's highest good. You see? Agape's action and reaction is always with a fresh start. A brand new page where its focus will be what can I do to help him today? That's what it is. Instead of thinking of the wrongs of the past, you know, and getting angry and upset and then, you know, and all, all sorts of uh, negative thinking comes along. With Barclays, William Barclays said that, uh, and I think he has a good point, he said, of the great arts of life, in life, is to learn what to forget. I think it's a great art. It's not easy to learn what to forget. And in this context of the, the final meaning of agape itself, I think that uh, this mindset of agape is especially precious for an offender, especially who has repeat, repented of his past sins. For somebody who has repented of his sins, this, as, this aspect of agape, the forgetfulness of agape, is very, very precious. We have an example in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Uh, Paul writes that he said, this was concerning the, 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 the fornicating brother who, who slept with his stepmother in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, who repented. So Paul wrote this letter uh, to deal with this issue there. Where Paul said this, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 2. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For in, if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that the one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan take, should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So, in relation to this brother who has repented of his sin of fornication, at Corinth, Paul, uh, you know, perhaps Paul might have been informed that there were some brethren in the church who were still constantly taunting and reminding this brother of his past sin, you know, and upsetting him. So Paul writes that he said, well, please do not torment this poor man. He has changed. He has repented. There's nothing worse than constantly reminding somebody of his past wrongs, especially where he has put it behind him and changed for the better. Instead, Paul said, Comfort him, reassure him with your love. That's what agape is. Agape is forgetful of past sins. Especially when God has forgiven the sinner who has repented. That we must not remember those sins and constantly bring, to bring, it, bring it back 
you know, from the grave and, and, and to taunt our brethren in it. But the, the Bible's position is this, you see, that if you think about this, since God uh, could even love unrepentant sinners, you know, God is good to all, even, even to the, un, the ungrateful and evil, that God continues to seek his, the, our highest good, causing His Son to rise, His reign to fall on everyone, there's even more reason for us, isn't it, to show our love towards those who have repented especially. You see? There's more reasons to do that. So, let's summarize the, 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 what we have, we have seen so far. So, we have gleaned from the different ways of understanding this verse. You know, from these various shades of the meaning of the word things. Uh, how it affects the, the meaning of the verse itself. So, we have seen basically that this verse has four possible meanings. Number one is that agape does not keep a ledger of the wrongs done to it. It does not bear a grudge against its offenders or think the worst of them. And secondly, is that agape does not harbor suspicions of others and attribute motives, evil motives when there was none. But agape always chooses to think the best case scenario. You know, he has done this to me, perhaps that he has something upset him. You want to think the best of him, you know, in, in, in that manner. Or that agape love does not think of causing harm to others in a tit for tat, an eye for an eye manner. Or finally, that agape remembers, does not remember the wrongs of others. You know, and use the wrongs as the reason for not helping the offender. So whether you accept any of these possible meanings or all of them, I think that it just goes to show that agape love encompasses all these meanings. You can, you can apply any of these meanings uh, you know, uh, and it still works on the principle of agape. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, in verses 13 to 48, uh, 43 to 48 says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you should be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So, what is interesting in this, in this verse here, this passage here, is that Jesus was talking about how even ungodly people, you know, react to the, those whom he loved. But of course, that ungodly people would treat their enemies differently, isn't it? And I'm, I'm sure that when Jesus talked about this, it has, it, you know, it has been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I'm sure that it hurts Jesus, knowing that within God's people, there was such a terrible teaching of hating one's enemies. You know, the sort of religious bigotry and hatred being sprouted uh, in Judaism by, you know, by, the, by, the, by, the, by the Pharisees and the scribes teaching such a perverted version of the Law of Moses. And it happens as well sadly today in the smaller circles of Christendom. In the Christian religion, there, there are some smaller sectors of it where there are groups of people who would hate people instead of loving them. Oh, it's very sad to see, to, to, to see how some people could hail the name of Jesus 
and yet promote and practice hatred at the same time. It makes no sense. And it is also very sad, in fact, to hear and to know of brethren within the church hating one another. I don't know whether you have come across, but uh, I have, and some of you know that, uh, you know, uh, you know that, that, that there are brethren like that in the church. But brethren, this should not be the case because Jesus teaches us to love our enemies, to love one another as he has loved us. And this is what agape is. Agape will and is or will never ever think evil of others. As Paul said in Romans 13, 10, that love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Peter also said in 1 Peter 2, 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God and honor the king. You know that Paul tells us, you see, that the primary characteristic of agape is that it is good to others and it thinks no evil against others. Agape is not sin-remembering, grudge-bearing, revenge-seeking, or suspicious. Or no, agape has a credit rating system as the determining factor as to who deserves to be helped. Brethren who choose to think or behave in an agape manner, sorry, in, not in an agape manner, will sin grievously against God. Such brethren cannot expect God to forgive their sins. And so such brethren will, you know, will, will, will struggle and they will not find real peace and the love of Jesus in their lives. Such brethren will continue to live their lives in misery, in suspicions, in anger, in hatred, as long as they refuse to repent of such an attitude, which is not of agape love. Instead, brethren, we are to be a people with a big heart and broad shoulders. We should be people who are ready, willing, and able to rise above sin and evil and conquer them with the good that agape love can bring to others and to win them over to Christ. Uh, there was a story I, I heard sometime many years back of a preacher. He, he went to preach the gospel. He went into a gangland controlled area. There was a, a story in the U.S., you know, a terrible neighborhood where the gangsters were everywhere. There were a lot of murders and shootings around. And so this preacher went in there to preach the gospels, the gospel to the gangsters. He didn't go to the neighbors. He went to the gangsters to preach the gospel to them. So he was caught by them, brought to the, the, you know, the gang's boss. So the boss pointed a gun to the preacher's head. And, you know, in, in, in a cynical way that he was saying, uh, that sinister way rather, saying that, do you know I can shoot you in the head? for coming here. You've got the guts to come in here to preach about Jesus. So the preacher, instead of begging for his life, the preacher said that, you can shoot me a thousand times in the head, but I'm, I will still love you enough to share the love of Jesus with you. So the story went that the, 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 the boss was shocked by the response. Uh, you know, after a few minutes, that the boss broke down in tears because he was so moved by the preacher's love for him because no one has ever said that or done that for him. He gave, the story went that he, he gave up his sinful life and he, he, he was converted and he became a preacher himself later on. Well, regardless of the truth of this story itself, very moving story, regardless of the truth itself, we know that the agape love of Jesus has in fact moved many sinners to tears, isn't it? And he has driven many sinners to their knees to eventually be, become faithful servants of Christ. Brethren, Jesus knew that men would crucify him. Yet he still came to save us from our sins. 
This is agape love. Seeking the highest good no matter what others would do to you. Paul tells us this principle, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates His love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Brethren, God's love for us is unconditional. Unconditioned in the sense that it is not merits-based. He sent Jesus to come to save us because He knew that we were unworthy of eternal life. This is what agape love is that seeks the highest good of others. If you want to know if you have been practicing agape love, okay, if you want to test yourself whether you have been practicing agape love, okay, just imagine this. Imagine that if God were to apply your attitude towards others on you, do you think that you will be given the opportunity to be saved from eternal condemnation and find forgiveness? Yeah? How you treat others, imagine God used the same principle in treating you. Do you think that you will ever be saved? If your answer is no, then you know that you're not living in agape love in your life and we need to repent of this attitude and change because agape thinks no evil. Well, if you are visiting us today, you are not a member of the church, you are not a Christian, I hope this lesson has helped you to understand that the Bible teaches a God who loves, who loves unconditionally, who loves real suspicion, that no matter how evil, how bad, how sinful you are, God still loves you and He seeks your highest good. Jesus came to die for you on the cross. Even though He knew that men would crucify Him, yet He came. And this is what God has done for you and He has offered you the gift of eternal life. The Bible teaches that, that for one to be saved, to become a Christian, be added to His church. You need to believe in the, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess with your mouth that He is your Lord and then be immersed in waters or baptism that your sins might be washed away so that you can become the beneficial recipient of the agape love of God and put that into practice in your life in Christ. Brethren, as I end here, let us practice agape love in its purest form. Just as God wants us to do so. Not the kind of fake love that the world promotes. Let us practice agape love so that God may be glorified and the church be kept safe from evil and its influence. May God be glorified in all things and, and honored in all things. And may we all practice agape love in accordance to His will, to His glory. Thank you.